Hello and welcome to the Finergo FinTalks podcast, where we connect you to the latest in regtech, compliance, and anti-money laundering activity. My name is Dan Nasigdu. I am the Senior Content Manager here at Finergo, and today we're talking about all things cloud security. I'm joined by Finergo CISO, or CISO, uh, Neve Muldoon, an expert in the field. Neve, can you tell us a bit more about yourself? Thanks very much for having me. I'm Neve Muldoon, Finergo's Chief Information Security Officer, and my team and my role is to protect our information assets, our clients and partners' information assets here at Finergo. Cool. And how, how do you protect them just generally? Do people process and technology controls and really making sure that data and information is seen as an information asset? It's what differentiates our business, our clients' business, and helps us all moving forward in the fight against cybercrime and fintech crime and financial crime. <laughs> of course. So... How do you get into security? Like, I don't think that's like every little girl's dream, right? To become a cloud security expert. So what got you interested in FinCrime? Yeah, great question. So um, I had the great opportunity to work at Massachusetts Institute of Technology when I was about 19 years old. And I really got a grow for technology. Um, and from that, I knew I wanted to do something in it. I also wanted to be a teacher and a fashion designer. So I combined all three together and uh, was fortunate enough to get into Allied Irish's Bank's um, IT graduate program as a Lotus Notes developer. And within two weeks of starting there in their capital markets division, September the 11th happened. And from that, six months later, John Rusnak defrauded the bank for one of the biggest U.S. fraudulent cases in his, in the history of the U.S. and global economy for $649 million. So the security team needed somebody to come on board and help them investigate that. What did that look like for me? It meant uh, for the next three years of my life, I went around assessing deal desks, back offices, technology systems, speaking to the deal desk personnel, the management teams, the mid-tier operations, the technology operations, and really sitting down with them to see how they were using technology systems, how they were protecting technology systems, what were the business processes in place, and coming up with recommendations on how they could mature and improve. Sure. So that's that's a lot to handle when you're just 22 and there's not really like a, a clear path for you in, in the security space. Handling this this huge breach so early on in your career and and really being there at the at the front line of of possibly like one of the biggest banking security breaches in the world at that point, I would imagine. Yeah, whether back then whether it was classified as a security breach or thin crime, I guess it was classified differently by different people, but one hundred percent it was a great opportunity for me and very daunting. I was working with very senior members of AIB, the the head of technology, the head of operations, the audit commit the audit committee and um the CEO at the time, Michael Buckley, and all the reports were going up up to all those involved parties. What it meant for me on the ground was going around working with people, seeing how they were accessing technology systems, how they were storing their passwords, how they were carrying out their day-to-day operations. I, I traveled around the world for about three years doing all that and came up with recommendations around controls for technology systems for business processes and how we really wanted the people in our dealing death in our back-end operations to operate to protect data great so it sounds like you really created the ground floor of security for a new kind of technological infrastructure then and off the back of that 
how have you seen security develop? And you know, in terms of the cloud, why why is cloud security so important? Why is it important for SaaS as well? It's That's great. software as a service. Yeah, it's a great question. And really, whether you're utilizing SaaS or on-prem or hybrid, it comes down to your enterprise security program. So the people interacting with the technologies, it's the associated operations, accessing, utilizing those technologies, and then it's the controls in place within the platform. Um, And that's SaaS, on-prem or in the cloud. You have to look at it at a holistic view. We call it, or it's commonly known in the industry, as an enterprise program where people, processes and and technologies. And I think there's a lot of misconceptions out there around cloud technology, but it's the utilization of the cloud technology in conjunction with the people that are accessing it, supporting the platforms and the associated business operations. Okay, fair enough. And so how does that sort of thing tie into risk modeling? I know you have quite a strong background there. Generally, how, do, how does cloud work with things like uh, Basel 2 and I guess Basel 3 and maybe Basel 4? That's that might be coming in the not so distant future, right? How, how do these things all, all operate together? Yeah, they're all connected. So I did have the opportunity to work on the Basel 2 compliance for an Irish financial allied Irish banks as well. And my role in it was in relation to the risk models, providing assurance to the quantitative and qualitative analysis of the data that was used in the risk modeling. And so if you look at risk models, they consume and utilize large portions of data to help make a decision on the risk or the data that's being analyzed. And in in the banking world, that's around, you know, loans, provisions. Is this a risky business decision for us or is it not fundamentally? And so the data going into that needs to be secured. And so what does the security of that look like? It protecting the confidentiality, the integrity is huge and the availability of that data when you're making a risk-based decision. So integrity, the integrity of the data going into the risk model produces the expected outputs in the risk model to help the business make an informed decision, aka is this a good risk decision or a bad risk decision? See, that sounds like a lot of work for everyone involved, right? Uh, it sounds like these these projects require a lot of different teams working together across an entire company, right? Which could be thousands strong. How do you deal with things like disbelief in the possibility of failure with confidence in these systems? Because I, I imagine if you spend, say, I don't know, a thousand, two thousand man hours combined on on this sort of project, you're going to have really strong faith in it. But as as we've seen recently with uh, Silicon Valley Bank, although I mean they didn't have a chief risk officer in place, but as, as we've seen like with with other banks, they they have these they have these procedures in place. They have they have the the work. They've done the work right, but they still don't always necessarily succeed in their defence. So how important is stress testing and and just being aware that the bias that might have creeped in over time is is being counteracted? Great question. And so you yeah, you need enough data, first of all, to stress test and you need to incorporate the the market condition to ensure you're you're stress testing your risk model accordingly. And then you need a framework for the results associated with these stress tests to en- enable the business to make informed decisions. So it's the integrity of that decision, the integrity of that data that supports the decisions to be made. Once you can justify that, that your model is operating accordingly, that when you do stress tests that you've got different scenarios that take you outside tolerance, but that you're making informed decisions around that. If we look back in history, that's what's enabled businesses to move forward in a different type of way because they have taken risky decisions but they've been documented and they've been documented made throughout a framework that has supported them. Right, okay. So in, so with that in mind, how could 
say the CEO of a fintech uh, or a startup, how could they really approach their or any or any business really anyone who's looking to move into cloud-based uh, services? How could they really implement a cloud strategy effectively? Why? How can they do it fast? Right? How can they how can they deliver to the market at, at real speed? And how does how do they maintain security that the entire time while doing that? But first of all, it really starts with understanding your business assets. What is it that you want to protect? What are the business services that you're delivering to and how the cloud can really help and enable you to drive your business forward, delivering those services while balancing cost and risk? That is the fundamental components of having digitalization or moving towards the cloud strategy. And once you align to your strategy in relation to the business services that you're providing, so if cloud, does it enable you to make your your business services available 99.999% of the time? What is the value of moving to the cloud from a business perspective? Then you can put the right control frameworks in place to reduce the risk and balance the cost. Because if any of those three items are out of whack, you're you're not operating effectively or operating to excellence and you're going to either increase risk or increase cost. So it sounds like one of the most important things is have some idea of what you're doing, what you want to achieve before you even get started. Is that right? Yeah, it's setting out the, the strategy for your business and how cloud can enable you or move you quicker to uh, deliver to that strategy. And a business strategy is always based on delivering quality services, quality services to your internal team, but ultimately your clients and your partners. So if you look at what we do in at Finergo, delivering KYC AML to our clients and all of our clients are trying to move towards the cloud to really provide their businesses with decisions that can be made quickly on lending money, bringing new clients on board, supporting with risk models. We're in markets that are very turmoil at the moment. So how do we know and our customers, how do we help our customers make informed decisions on whether they should be lending to client A, B and C? They're offering loan services around the clock. At Finergo, we support those decisions. So from our perspective, moving to the cloud to enable ourselves and our business and our clients make informed decisions quickly. So it sounds like speed of delivery is a really big thing then. So what is it innate to the cloud that allows for that speed of delivery that you can't have with on-prem or hybrid solutions? You can have them with on-prem and hybrid solutions, but they come at a cost and also an associated risk where the operating model in the cloud is it's available 24-7 at a global to a global community. And if you look at how business operates now, it's all at a global level. And that makes sense. It makes sense, right? You want to have as much uptime as you possibly can. I, I mean, my, my next question was going to be, uh, when is it not necessary to use the cloud? But maybe that's, maybe that's the wrong way to go. Oh, I think that's a great question. When is it not necessary um, to use the cloud? It might be not that it's not necessary, but what are the uh, areas that might prevent you from moving to the cloud quickly? That could be that you don't understand your information assets or your data, what's stored on your on-prem systems and servers. It could be the laws or regulatory requirements or even not understanding your client base. Is there going to be an appetite within your client, your existing clients, to trust you to move to the cloud? Do you have to build that trust up? And how are you going to build that trust up, foster it and grow it with your existing clients to give them trust assurance? What you don't want to be doing is moving to the cloud with not understanding your client's requirements, uh, expectations of you, and if you haven't built that trust well, there are two things that you said that, that are really interesting. One around data and one about requirements, right? So let's let's put those together. So in terms of 
data requirements for various countries so and data residency rules. I'm, I'm not sure if these are still strict necessary rules, but I know Germany and, and Dubai, well, UAE, aren't particularly thrilled when their data is out, held outside of their countries. But also, I think Russia explicitly refuses to have data held outside of, outside of the country, right? How do you handle those sorts of demands from clients? Yeah. when you're on cloud. I love the way you say demands because there is a lot of, there still is a lot of misinterpretation or understandings around what data can move outside country or jurisdictions. But really it's client expectations around how you manage their data and requirements can be met. I think it's working closely with the provider to see how you deliver to client expectations and demands. But also there's the understanding and the education of what can happen around data and the validation of building up the trust. When we move data with outside, outside the country or outside region, here's the control framework that we have in place. And here's the trust assurance that we provide to you on that control framework. If you take a step back and you look at GDPR compliance and why it really came in, it came in to actually enable cloud providers and enable businesses to move forward for the EEA region in a structured, measured fashion. So how data can move from Germany to France, the UK, all of those. Prior to GDPR, there was a framework called Binding Corporate Rules or Safe Harbor that allowed it to move between Ireland and the US. And GDPR came in to really enable cloud computing in a structured fashion to have a set of organizational and technical controls in place to protect data. So yeah, now whether that's the been the reality of it, but that was the fundamental requirement was to support businesses within the EA region and across the globe to operate together. Right. I mean, honestly, most of the time I see GDPR, I just think of those uh, cookie banners on websites. <laughs> but it's, obviously things go, go deeper than that. But it's, it's interesting, right? Because what you were saying about miseducation and re essentially re-educating clients to, to understand data and data requirements, because I, I, th I think we've all seen, or maybe maybe you have seen the Senate questioning of TikTok CEO recently, uh, where he, had, uh, he was talking about Project Texas and how they were keeping all of the US data on US soil. And the senators did not seem to really believe him or really be particularly mollified by that. How, how do you deal with pushback, I guess, from clients when they maybe just don't get what it is that you're presenting around cloud security and data requirements? That's a great question. And really, the translation of regulations into day-to-day -day business operation can vary. And that's really when throughout my career, I've been part of interest groups and forums to really help educate regulatory bodies on what that looks like for us in the industry and how we can work together and making sure that new regulations coming in like GDPR compliance actually can be operational. Data purging was a word that was used a lot from a privacy perspective, but actually if you look at the true technology definition of data purging, it would mean that you'd have to shut down your, all your operations to actually complete the data purging exercises. And no businesses that are operating are telling their clients we offer services around the clock are going to shut down their business operations to do data purging. So there's what, Sorry, what, why would someone data purge in the first place? Because it, it, it was originally written down as a privacy requirement. Right. Okay. Yeah. So it's working together with regulations to support them when they are putting frameworks or regulate new regulatory requirements in place, what they mean for people operating in day-to-day -day technology providers. 
Going back to your point then uh, around the US, I think there is a disconnect between the regulation coming in and what the technology provider is saying and the whole trust model. And so how are they going to bridge that gap? It's going to be true education and assurance exercises which are in the form of audits, validation that they are actually delivering to that. Right, okay. So so I mean, that, that ties in really nice to my next question, which is what are the the biggest misconceptions and concerns that you're running into about security on the cloud? Because I, I know I know a lot of enterprise level providers have had you know decades of having their data on-prem very much at their fingertips and then to to let go of that so that it's held on a data center i don't know like i don't know like, like a former nuclear bunker that's been bought by amazon how do you deal with that like what are the, the misconceptions and concerns they are presenting to you the misconceptions of that you're you're letting go of your data you're actually in full control of your data it's how you set up your operating model around seeing that and and the different checks that you have in place around who has access to your data. You know, data center providers, they are very strong in their physical controls and their technical controls and their process controls and providing assurance that they don't have access to the data. But I think the onus is it's a joint responsibility. It's on the person who owns the data um, to validate, you know, that the controls are operating effectively and to really build their muscle on that assurance. So doing the daily checks, seeing, you know, that their their data is not being accessed and having the controls in place that will alert in case their data is accessed. So it sounds like it's not necessarily that they're passing off their data to this uh, data provider, not data provider, uh, to this cloud provider, but they're instead, uh, it's about creating a new relationship. A new relationship. I love it. It's creating that trusted partnership together on how we both work together to protect the data. So, so for the clients, they still have to, they're still very much responsible for the security of that data. Then they still need to make sure that they're putting strong controls in place. They can't just palm it off to the cloud provider and, and say, okay, this is your problem now to deal with. Yes, 100%. It's the joint partnership. And look at it as a, as a staff augmentation or a partnership, having that extra eyes to support you to deliver your programs, providing the assurance around quality services being delivered but also the the security the privacy of the of the data think of it that way is that it's it's the additional level of assurance and so what cloud security requirements are non-negotiables we hear a lot about iso 27001 just generally around any data requirements whatsoever in this space but what does that really mean and where's the value in other security certifications around cloud yeah the the cloud certifications and assurances are grown day by day, the different um, requirements or the different standards that are out there. But really aligning your cloud service offering to something like ISO 27001 SOC 2 Type 2 or Cloud Alliances, it provides you with a level of a standard, a globally recognized standard and assurance that separates the cloud provider from anybody else. Now, what really differentiates is how those certifications and accreditations support the business moving forward, how they're used to build, foster and grow that trust model. So that is down to you meeting your SLAs, your KPIs around the service delivery. Right. So so really these certifications are really just a baseline for service delivery. They, they are a baseline. So SOC 2 Type 2 is is based on the fact that you will have quality services around security, privacy and availability of the service. ISO 27001 
relates to you have a level of security controls in place and a risk management framework that's recognized at a global level to protect data. Great. So so just to wrap up or to start wrapping up, my last my last major like question is what about AI? AI is the is the bugbear of the moment, right? It's it's dominating every single chat. It's in every single Twitter thread I read. It's in every single LinkedIn influencer post I see. There have been so many developments in that space, especially because of ChatGPT. How can it assist financial crime, and what sort of uh, attacks can it present on on uh, companies when they have this cloud security in place? Yeah, I think that privacy is given AI bad name, to be honest with you. AI has been around for my whole entire career, um, which is 22 years. When I started in, in AIB, we used AI. We used AI around credit cards. It helped us make informed decisions about real transactions or fake transactions. I think what we're seeing now is the use of AI in the cloud and through modeling the need for constant data and bringing in the user behavior data associated with that, which introduced the privacy concern. I love the fact that we are moving forward with the use of AI. I really see the benefit it brings to my my role around risky behavior, around security, but also how it protects against in crime on a global level. So AI isn't regulated at the moment. And I know there's a lot of talk about regulations associated with AI and what that looks like. And I really would love to see the regulations work with people on the ground, those folk involved in developing AI models, those folk that are using the data to come up with a realistic framework that can be globally accepted and regulated and managed. Yeah, I I think one of the one of the really key things is to recognize that AI is well, like you said, it's been around for a long time, but maybe AI in its most current form is it's just technology, right? It's it's no different than say the internet and when banking and regulation had to had to deal with with the internet and how that was going to change things for how people deal with money. And I mean, I think re- just recently Italy expelled ChatGPT from being able to be operated in the country, um, and there have been there are other potential attacks on AI uh, coming, especially with the European Commission. Propose, well, I say attacks. Attacks might not be the right way, but maybe maybe a framework is, is a better way of doing it. A framework for understanding AI and for implementing AI has been proposed by the European Commission. So having having started your career with seeing what happened at with with sorry, what was his name? John Rosnack. And the 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 weaknesses that were, you know, revealed then. Do you think that AI is going to do the same thing for enterprise level technologies today? Oh my God, yes. Yeah. So if you look at business processes, there is many use cases for, for AI. And the great thing about it is that data exists now in technology systems. So it's, it's feeding that, it's centralizing it to support the AI to be able to make informed decisions on whether to allow action in relation to the movement of money, allow risk a decision to be made on to lend to somebody, not to lend to somebody. Oh my God, I just see a vast use case. That being said, I do believe that data needs to be protected from an integrity perspective first, an availability perspective, and a confidentiality perspective. And once the data is aggregated or the personal, the personally identifiable information removed out of the risk model that supports the AI decision to be made, 
I, I think it, it's it's golden. It's great to hear. Thank you, thank you so much, Neve, for your time today. It's I really appreciate it. It's been a really illuminating conversation. Oh my uh, god, thank you so much for having me. As you can see, I'd talk for Ireland on all these topics. Uh, no, it's, it's really great. Maybe we'll get you on again in the future to talk about further AI and cloud security issues. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Finergo FinTalks. Uh, I've been Damna Segedu. I've been joined by Neve Muldoon. And uh, you can, well, you should like and subscribe this podcast. And remember, it's available wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you very much.